Uh, if you have kids, there's Mr. Our Children's Ministry out that door and to the left. Uh, and if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew 26. That's where we're going to be today, Matthew 26. Um, it is pretty fitting that a year ago, this, this Sunday, this day, we launched um, our church, and we launched on Easter Sunday, and we had a meal at the very beginning of our first service together. We're going to do that again in a few weeks um, on Easter Sunday. We're going to do it outside at Ballard Park. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later, but today we're talking about a meal that we celebrate at the, at the end of all our services. Uh, we're talking about uh, communion. You may have heard it also called the Lord's Supper, but um, this, is, this is what we're doing this morning. Um, but bef- before we go any further, I would like to invite you to, to pray with me as we get started. Um, God, we know that you're in this room with us. Um, we know that when we gather together, there's something uh, miraculous that happens um, because we're gathered together in your name. And you've told us that you're here with us when we do that. So um, we pray that you would give us an awareness of your presence and your spirit this morning, that we would um, uh, block out all the distractions, maybe that you would block out all the distractions that have a, sometimes uh, come upon us. Um, so as we, as we are here together, we pray that you would speak through this passage to us. Um, and that maybe we would learn something new about a story that some of us are familiar with and some of us know really well. Um, but at the end of our service, we're going to do something we do every single week. Um, but we pray that we would never lose the meaning of what we're doing when we take communion together. Um, so pray, we pray together all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Um, my... Second year of college, um, my dad um, did an estate. He did the, the work for an estate for this couple that passed away, and um, they had lots of money that they had to give away, and there was a dispute over the will. And that dispute lasted for two years. And during the dispute, um, they had this house that somebody had to live in, in order for the insurance to cover the house. Um, they couldn't sell the house because the will was not finished, the dispute was not over. So it was less than a mile from where I was going to college at the time. So I lived, as me and one other friend of mine, in this 5,000 square foot, five bedroom house in the middle of East Memphis. It was, it was very nice. And, and every day I came home and I thought, I do not belong here at all. Um, a couple years later, I had some friends who came up to visit me, and uh, they had never been to Memphis before, and I showed them around pretty much everything you can see in Memphis. Um, we went to the Peabody, the historic hotel in downtown Memphis, and uh, it, maybe you've been before on the, the, the roof of the Peabody is this place where you can kind of see downtown, and you can see the river, and I'm, I'm with here, I'm with a group of friends, and we look around, and, and one of our friends is missing, and he's kind of the troublemaker out of all of us. And uh, we look, and instead of coming out on the roof with us, he has gone through a banquet hall where they're getting ready to have some party that night. Um, and people are setting up, and he's gone through the kitchen where people are cooking. And he snuck out the window and 
went up a fire escape to go to the actual roof of the Peabody, which is about 15 or 20 feet taller than the roof. And he's waving his arms at me and being like, this is the roof. And uh, I, I walked through that banquet hall and I walked through the kitchen where people are getting ready and I'm trying to get him to come down. And the whole time I think, we are not supposed to be here at all. And then just a few months ago, I, I did a wedding and... Um, there were politicians there, and there were. Um, it was in a really nice location, and I was having conversations with people that I would never really normally have conversations with, and and the whole time I'm thinking I'm not supposed to be here. There are there are all these times in my life, and I'm sure in your life too, where you think I'm out of place here. I'm not supposed to be in this environment. This is out of my league, or I'm not like these people, or whatever the case may be. And the story we're going to read today is about communion, but it's about a person who really is not supposed to be there. And um, uh, it's a long story, and we're, we're going to read um, just in, in pieces, but it's in Matthew 26, and uh, it starts in verse 14 is where we're going to be this morning. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the back corner, um, and you can just Grab one and take it with you if you want to. We'd love for you to have it. We'd love for you to keep it. Um, but we'd love that for that to be our gift to you. So um, Matthew 26 is where we are. We're going to start in verse 14. Um, then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. So for the past few weeks, we've been talking about this series, The Seven Last Days of Jesus' Life. And for the past few weeks, we've been talking about how every time Jesus is in a public place, there are these people, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, who want Jesus to stop talking. And so they want to put him in prison, they want him to be killed, they want him to go away. Whatever they can do just to get Jesus to shut his mouth, that's what they want. They want him to be done talking. And, and so they've been trying to trap him into saying things that are going to get him into trouble, and they've been trying to spread rumors about him. Nothing seems to be working. And then Judas, this little portion we read right here, Judas, who is one of Jesus' followers from the beginning of his ministry, so for three years he's been following around Jesus. He knows because he's seen the religious leaders trying to trap Jesus. And so he goes to these religious leaders and he says to them, how much money are you going to give me if I give Jesus up to you? Now the religious leaders can arrest Jesus whenever they want to. They're just looking for a quiet place to do it because they know they're going to get opposition if they have to do it in front of a crowd. So what they're really looking for is a time when Jesus is going to be alone by himself or with not a lot of people so they can arrest him quietly and not make a big deal out of it. And so Judas comes to him and he says, I'll give up his location. What are you going to give me? And so the, the price is 30 pieces of silver. So it's hard to just estimate how much money that is because things are so different now. But I've seen estimates range from like a couple hundred dollars all the way up to maybe six months of salary. But one thing is clear. It's, it's not enough for Judas to 
hide and change his identity and become a different person. It, it's, it's not like he's winning the lottery by getting these 30 pieces of silver, but so he's, for a very small price, he's giving away Jesus. And so when we enter this, the rest of the story, we have this one guy who's left his life to follow Jesus, who's with 11 other people who have left their lives to follow Jesus. And we don't know what prompted him to do it in the first place, but he's kind of done. He's, he's willing to conspire with the religious leaders to get rid of Jesus. So he says, 30 pieces of silver, I'll do it. And from then on, he starts looking for a way to tell the religious leaders where Jesus is. And so we get to verse 17. He says this, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? As you go into the city, he told them, you will see a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says, my time has come, and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal there. Um, when it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with his 12 disciples. Um, before we get to the rest of the story, we have Judas, who has agreed to betray Jesus. And then Jesus, who prepares the Passover meal for his friends. And so Jesus is with a group of people, his closest friends, and they're celebrating the most holy meal that you can celebrate in Jewish culture in Jesus' day. It's the Passover. And the Passover is like Christmas for us. It's a big holiday. People take time off. And it is a time of celebration and also a time of just eating together. And the Passover meal is the biggest part of this entire celebration because it is a remembrance of when God delivered the Jews from slavery in Egypt. And so when they eat the Passover meal, they actually have things that they eat to remember that what God did when they were in Egypt. So one of the things they eat are bitter herbs as a reminder of the bitterness and harshness of slavery when they were underneath Egypt's thumb. And one of the things they eat is a, like a shank bone of a lamb. They eat the meat off of it because when Passover came, they all sacrificed a lamb and they painted their doorpost with the blood of the lamb. And that's why it's called Passover is that the angel literally passes over their door when it comes by. And so even the food they're eating is a reminder that they used to be enslaved by Egypt and they've been set free from God through a sacrifice that they made. And the reason why this is so beautiful is because there's so much symbolism in the fact that Jesus is eating this meal with his followers and is going to rescue them from the slavery of their own sin by his sacrifice. And he's eating these things and he knows he's going to die. He knows he's about to be crucified. And so he's thinking about his people being set free from slavery thousands of years ago through sacrifice. And he's thinking about how he's going to set his people free from slavery to sin by his sacrifice. So think about how heavy this moment is for Jesus right now. Think about how difficult it is for him to have to even have this meal 
much less be at the table with Judas, who's going to betray him. And in verse 20, it says this, While they were eating, Jesus said, he said, I'll tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. A greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, Am I the one, Lord? And he replied, One of you who has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. For the Son of Man must die, as the Scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, You have said it. It's another way of saying, yes, it's it's true. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. So Jesus takes this holy, sacred moment that's full of symbolism, and he makes it awkward. (laughs) Because he says, by the way, one of you is going to turn your back on me. One of you is going to betray me. And the disciples who have all let Jesus down in some way or another in the past all start to ask Jesus, is it me? So Peter, James, John, Andrew, the rest of the disciples are saying, well, is it me? Is it him? Who is it? And when it gets to Judas and Judas says, because remember, Judas has already made the deal. So Judas says, it's me, isn't it? I'm the one. You're talking about me, aren't you? And Jesus says, yes. It is you who are going to betray me. And then he goes on to tell him about how he's going to lay his life down. And uh, this is going to be the last meal they eat with him. And, and, and all of these things that are difficult to hear. But there's this, there's this beautiful dinner that they're celebrating. And Jesus brings this ugliness out into the open by saying, one of you who has followed me around for the past three years, who, have, who has left their home and family to, to be around me, um, you're going to turn your back on me. And this is strange, not only because it's just awkward, but because of um, just, just where they're sitting. So I want to show you a few pictures. The first one is of Da Vinci's. Um, so this is the last supper painting you probably have seen before. Thank you. There's a watermark there. Fine Art America. Thank you for giving us this image. Um, but uh, everybody looks at this. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine not too long ago about this painting. And they say it's weird that they're all sitting facing I mean, have you ever been to a dinner where everybody's facing the same way? That would be weird, right? Now, this was obviously painted hundreds of years after this meal actually took place, but this isn't that inaccurate. Um, And so there's another picture of um, the table they would have actually sat on. It's called a a triclinium is the name of the table. And as you can see, it's kind of like a U-shaped table. And what happens is... They used to do meals like this so everybody could face each other. 
So when you see the long table, it's actually uh, it's trying to give this image of the fact that everybody is kind of facing the same direction. This is the way nobody has their back to anybody else. So everybody can kind of see each other. And the thing about this is, is there are specific positions that mean specific things. And not in this passage that we read, but in another one of these uh, passages that describe this meal in the book of John, it talks about where some people are actually seated. Uh, seated. So I want to show you one more picture. So this is the way it says that the meal was laid out in the book of John. So where Jesus is sitting on the left here, that is considered the head of the table. So the head of the table would be on the corner, and you'd have two people sitting right next to you. One person would be a person who would um, kind of go get the food and kind of make sure everything was done correctly, so they'd be more kind of an assistant. And then next to him would be the host, and then the person to what they call the right-hand side. It would be to the left of the host, but it would be the right-hand side because when you'd be looking at them, they'd be on the right hand. That was the guest of honor. So imagine if you had a birthday party at your house and you had a table like this and it would be a celebration of somebody else that you know, a close friend or something like that. That's where the friend would sit and everybody would talk about how it's your birthday and we're so thankful that you were born and here's things I like about you and here's your gift. And that person would sit to the left of the host, but the right hand side is what they called it. So Jesus has this meal the most important meal that he's going to have all year, the biggest celebration on the Jewish calendar, and he's sitting with his friends, and the person who's sitting at the seat of honor is the person who's going to betray him. Sitting right there. I want you to take a second to think about, and this might be hard for some of you, um, Think about somebody who's hurt you. And if you can, think of the person who's hurt you the, the worst. Think about the person who has hurt you the most. And how painful that was for you and how hard that is. And sometimes maybe when you still think of that person, even if you've forgiven them, it just brings up some, some baggage. Think about that person. And then think about how you felt when they did hurt you the worst. Think about how difficult and painful that moment was, even if you're over it now. And now think about being in that moment and inviting that person to your house to come be the guest of honor at Christmas dinner. This is what Jesus is doing. Judas' betrayal is going to lead to Jesus' death. And he knows this, and he discusses it in, in the open, but he still has him there. And now, it's easy to kind of read this and know all this that we know about where Judas is sitting and what he's done. And it's easy for us to look at this and say, well, what this lesson is about is the, the, how we treat people, right? This is about forgiveness, Maybe. But, but Jesus goes on after 
he talks about the betrayal, he, this is when he gets the bread and he says, this is my body that's broken for you. Take it and eat it. And he gives to all of his disciples. This is my blood that's poured out for you. Take this and drink it. And he gives it to all of his disciples. And I, there's nothing in here that says he went, all right, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Thomas, all you guys can have it, but Judas is out because of what he's done. He talks about the betrayal and then he picks up the bread and says, take this and eat this, all of you. My body is for all of you. My blood, all of you. He offers it to everybody in the room, the guest of honor who has turned his back on Jesus. Jesus' body and blood is for everybody at the table, and it's for all of us. And again, it would be easy for us to say, this is what we can learn about this, is that there are people in our lives who have wronged us, and we need to forgive them, and we need to offer them Christ, and we need to offer them grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. We need to do that. And while that's true, I, I, I 100% believe that's true, I think this story is so much deeper than that. Because there are people who have betrayed us and there are, there are people who have turned their back on us or hurt us and we need to forgive them. But, but the thing that we need to realize is that we're just as guilty of betrayal as those people are. And that we're just as guilty of hurting Jesus in the way that those people are. Now, we're not alive at the same time Jesus is. I bet most of us probably wouldn't sell him sell his location for 30 pieces of silver. But at the heart of the Christian story is, is this truth, and that is that every single one of us is a messed up person. And that when we indulge all of the areas of our life that are messed up, that we are betraying God. And I know that sounds sort of harsh to say, but, but we are. We are. There are so many times in all our lives where we turn our back on God so when we're, when we're greedy and we store up wealth and treasures for ourselves at the expense of other people, when they need it, then we're not just harming ourselves and we're not just harming those people. We're harming God because we're not living in line with who he is and who he's created us to be. When we have these addictive tendencies, and we keep giving into them over and over and over without even any thought of them or even pretending like they're that big of a deal. When we, when we keep in, indulging those things, then we're not only hurting ourselves and we're not only hurting the people around us, but we are turning our backs on God. And when we're so caught up in unforgiveness and we're, we hold grudges against every single person who has harmed us and wronged us, and we don't approach them with an openness and, a, and, a, and grace and mercy, we are not just hurting them and we're not just hurting ourselves, we are hurting God. When we indulge in, indulge our lust and our greed and our, just the evil that lives inside of our hearts, when we give into those things, what we're doing is turning our back on God. And I know for some of us that sounds harsh, and I know the words like evil and even sin sometimes makes us feel uncomfortable because we don't like talking about it, but the reality is every single one of us is messed up. And when we indulge those messed up areas of our lives, then what we're doing is we're saying, God, I can control my life better than you can, and we're turning our back on him. But here's the power of the story is 
even in the midst of us turning our back on God, he, he never says, get your act together and then you can have the bread and the cup. He offers it anyway. He doesn't say to the 11 disciples, all of you get this except for Judas. He's out. He offers it to all of them. <clears throat> and so we, we come in here, and if you come to church on a regular basis, you come in Sunday, and you know there are some weeks where things have gone good and you want to celebrate, and there are things when things have gone bad, and you just come here because you feel obligated to do it. I get it. I understand. But there are the people in here this morning who want to celebrate their week, and the people who are here because they feel obligated, all of us together are offered the bread and the cup. Every single one of us are offered the body and blood of Jesus to come to him. And we don't have to have our act straight. And we don't have to even really be seeking him that much for him to offer himself. I am a, I am a deeply flawed individual. And I'm really good at... And making myself look better than I am. Um, and I have like a great home and a great family. And, uh, but there are things inside of me that if people saw, um, I'm not sure they wouldn't turn away and run. And, it, and in those days when all of that ugliness comes up, I can't help but be grateful for the fact that Jesus offers himself to me in the middle of that. Like, um, my wife was gone all week, and uh, I had all three kids, not the whole time, because I can't do that. But in the time I had them, there were times when the ugliness came to light. And... And there are some people in my life who have hurt me in my past, and when I think about them, uh, I do not wish good things upon them sometimes. And when all of that stuff comes up, we still worship a Jesus who says, this body and this blood, this bread and this cup is offered to you, Russ. It's offered to all of us. And if there's anything in the Jesus story that's compelling, it's that. Is that he offers himself to us in the middle of our darkness. Um, and so we end all our, our services doing this. So I'm going to go ahead and ask our communion servers if they would come forward. And then I'm going to ask Daniel if he would come out too. So, at the end of the most important meal that Jesus has, um, he take a piece, takes a piece of bread and he breaks it. 
And he offers it to everyone. He says, this is my body that's broken for you. And then he takes a cup. And he says, drink this. And he offers it to everyone. And he says, this is my blood that's poured out for you. Um, and so we want to invite you. Um, we want to invite you to, to share this meal. And we ask you to take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. Um, as a remembrance of what Christ did for you. And look, I know that there are some of you in this room who think, I, I, I got to get my stuff together before I believe all this. And I know there's, there are some of you in this room who are like, I, I believe this for a long time, but I still got to get my stuff together. And if you, if you want to stay in your chair or pray in your chair or pray with me and Daniel in the back, you can do that. Uh, but we would invite you um, not to let your baggage hold you back. Um, to come forward, uh, to confess Jesus, to, to believe. Uh, to know that he offers himself to you in light of our darkness. Um, let's pray together. God, it's been a, a quiet morning. Um, and uh, we thank you that you meet us in all the places that we go. Um, but God, we, we just pray that um, we would understand that you offer yourself to us. Uh, we pray that you would um, uh, help us to trust you more. Um, thank you for offering yourself to us, and thank and thank you for this morning. Um, amen.